0: Welcome to the Cycling Performance Club podcast, the weekly podcast where a panel of scientists, pro cyclists, and cutting edge coaches discuss topics in training, performance, and science, and all things cycling. The show is co hosted by Cyrus Monk, who is a professional cyclist and cycling coach, Dr. Jason Boyton, who is a sports scientist and cycling coach, and then there's me, Damien Roos, a professional cycling coach. In this episode, We're talking about everything critical power, the well-studied performance metric, and a heads-up. This is part one of a two-part series on critical power, where we cover the history, its relationship to thresholds, testing, accuracy, and the power duration curve. To help us, we invited another Jason onto the show. And the first thing we had to sort out was, how would we distinguish between the two Jasons?
1: I think it's funny, too, that our names are so similar. We got Jason Bartram and Jason Boynton. Yeah. Do we we have a code for the
2: podcast or what?
1: I don't know. We were actually trying to think about that. Do you have a nickname?
2: Just go some initials, hey? Go JB. All right. JB. That's my initials. Uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've got that sorted, who is JB? Well, his full name is Jason Bartram. And if you track down this video clip of the 2019 UCI Women's Team Pursuit World Championship. Midway
1: point to the final lap, and on the line, I think it's going to go to Australia again. Great Britain, close the gap.
0: We see a happy coach with what looks like relief rather than all out celebration. But Jason was part of many wins, not only as a coach, but also as a sports scientist with Cycling Australia. He's currently finishing off a PhD in critical power, so was the perfect person to ask onto the show
1: we actually met at the high performance unit in adelaide for one of the world tour academies and we had a lot of interesting conversations there also we met again when you came to ecu i couldn't remember which way around it was which one was first i think because it was 2016 was the world tour in february but that was actually really interesting because it had the whole it was ECU, a lot of the people from the high performance unit, and then also there was representation of Green Edge there as well with Mark Quad. So yeah, it was like the who's who's of cycling performance in Australia at the time. And a little bit of background why we're doing this is because one of the episodes that we did have, we were talking about critical power and. I was at a point where I just kind of wanted to transition away from the kind of training peaks model with FTP and get into something that's more science-based because I know like there's so many papers out there around critical power and then it describes the physiology that happens above and below it. And you can't really get that with FTP. Uh, And then also there's the addition of having W prime calculated with critical power. So that's also a really kind of interesting thing to me. And Basically, my history with critical power is that one of the bigger labs that does research around critical power is Andrew Jones's lab. And I've seen him present, and I've seen Skiba present, and I've seen uh, Annie, I can't remember how to pronounce her name. Van Hatalo. Yeah, Annie Van Van (laughs) Hatalo. I've read it a million times. Uh, And then I think Mark Burnley's in there. And then uh, Andrew Jones's supervisor is... David Poole, I believe. And so he's on a pool papers with them as well. He's, he's a guy from the UK that's in uh, Kansas now. But that lab is a very physiology based lab. Even though it's an exercise science lab, it's much more on the basic side than what your stuff is. Your stuff is very applied. So I've been reading papers on it for 10 years, but I, I've just it's kind of tapered off, especially when I went through my PhD. So now I'm kind of ramping it up and it's, did a bunch of reading on it and this so this is going to be i'm really happy and grateful to be able to have this conversation with you today and kind of help me direct my practice towards that and kind of get some of the finer things worked out and hopefully the listeners can take a lot away from this whereas is, is something to, to as a reference more or less so yeah so just a quick overview of critical power Pan that off to you, Jason, without getting too much into details. Critical power, power duration curve, W prime, W prime balance. Where this whole concept originates
2: from, there's a paper that I love reading, which is by a guy called A.V. Hill back in 1925. He, he published this paper and it was, it was mostly around uh, looking at world records in, in different different events. And you know he, he plots all these different events from rowing, running, swimming, cycling, and shows this beautiful curve linear relationship. And, and he starts to ponder about, you know, why that might be the case. Um, and he lays down some kind of physiological uh, underpinnings that, that he thinks kind of causes his curve relationship. Um, and he, he doesn't give it the definitions, you know, of a, a critical power model, but that's really where it started off. And so I guess it's this concept of um, how fast could you go for a certain distance? And then if, if you wanted to make that distance longer, uh, how much are you going to have to slow down? Or if you're going to go shorter? How much could you speed up? And so it's describing that work capacity for a for a certain amount of time. And the most basic versions of the models are, are these two parameter models where you get this kind of uh, aerobic themed uh, parameter of critical power and an anaerobic themed uh, parameter of W prime. And and mm-hmm. one being rate limited, so our critical power. One being capacity limited, our W prime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gluing them together, it's this nice little concept where if you work over your critical power you're using up this kind of finite bucket of W' prime, and once that gets to zero, that's, that's uh, volitional exhaustion or task failure. Yeah,
1: that's a good, really good description and a good history of it. The only thing I have to add in context of past uh, episodes that we've had is that the critical power is that separation between the severe intensity domain and then the heavy exercise domain as well. So and then that gets into like what happens in those domains and how the physiology works and, uh, and those domains and how they differ. But it's kind of this separation point is one of the things I find interesting about that. And I kind of look at it and how the physiology reacts on above it and below it is one of the things I like to kind of think about to put it into context. Another thing that's kind of interesting to me about the whole critical power model, and you brought in the, hi- the history of it with the, with the athletes. You know, my background is in cell biology, so I did you know zoology and all that kind of stuff. And it's what's interesting is it's not just with humans, right? It's with animals as well. Animals have yep. their own critical power curves. So this is not just humans. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting to me about it is every kind of muscle system would have its own critical power curve mm. as well. And so, you know, you're a hand grip model right? Uh, or biceps, or in this case, cycling, each one of those can, those durations and intensity can be, de- be described through these critical power models, which is, again, really interesting and kind of takes us back uh, a step, especially people that maybe know about critical power type models through something like training peaks and WKO5, but without having to kind of read some of these papers out of Jones's lab where they almost every single time have a historical context or a a context in nature or something like that to kind of bring the reader into it. The census is a measure of threshold. We had an episode earlier on all the thresholds, but we didn't get very deep into critical power. This is uh, especially around the W prime and the W prime balance thing. But we will kind of bring up some of the aspects that we discussed in there. And one of the things is critical power is different than FTP. And so the classic definition of FTP is you know the power that you can hold for about 60 minutes. And then there's that 0.95 conversion factor for 20 minutes to get that. And the unfortunate thing about doing a 20 minute test is, yes, you can kind of estimate your quote unquote, your thresholds with one test, but then you don't get that W prime measure out of it. And there's, there's research done out of Jones's lab that described it like W prime has nothing to do with that, that 5% or whatever. But how do you feel about FTP versus critical power off the bat? I'm sure, sure you have some thoughts on that. Mm. I think in the world of cycling,
2: FTP has its place. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you're lucky enough to work in high performance, I, I don't feel like it's really that, that useful a metric for you. Um, at the end of the day, like we know that energetics, you know, is, is, is never purely one energy system, right? It's always a combination mm-hmm. yep. of multiple systems. Mm-hmm. And so to think that you could ever use one test, to, to give you insight into multiple energetic systems, you never know the relative contributions for them in, in terms of if you're just doing a single, you know, it's like a 20-minute work piece. Mm-hmm. So, it, look, it's long enough that, that it, the errors are not going to be huge, but they're always going to be there. Um, so myself mm-hmm. and yourself might both do a 20-minute work piece. I might do mine more aerobically than you. We might get the same overall power, but realistically, that, It's it's not the same threshold for both of us.
1: And then the relationship, there's that relationship between FTP and maximal lactate steady state. And we discussed that in the last episode. But I think based on a few papers, my impression is, is critical power, even though there's research out there that shows that you can't really associate critical power with time to exhaustion, like you can supposedly with FTP or the old definition of FTP, it seems to me that the average critical power in one study was around 23 minutes or so. And again, that's probably a big amount of large amount of air in there. But typically, it seemed to me also like reading the literature, if I remember correctly, like the fitter people get, the closer ftp and critical power are to each other and there's probably a bigger different difference there but the the thing is between that functional threshold power maximal lactate state um, and critical power and all the and the ventilatory thresholds there they all correlate right they just have different above and below and how they relate these are also based on averages so different mm-hmm. individuals could have could be above or below depending on the day yeah but um I also want to bring up modeled FTP really quick, and the interesting things that about that is the deeper you look into modeled FTP, you're like, "Hold hold on, this isn't really FTP." They're basically, I know, maybe this is a bit hard, but it seems like they're co-opting critical power. Do you have yeah. thoughts on modeled <laughs> FTP or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Because he's chuckling
2: there? Yeah, I've definitely, um, I've definitely used it at points in time. Um, uh, WKO four was was my world when I was mm-hmm. um, didn't quite make it to WKO five, um, but no, yeah, the, the, you're spot on. It, it's it's I always think Training Peaks do a pretty good job of putting some kind of background science and rationale behind what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, they always get this debate that kind of like things aren't validated or they're not proven mm-hmm. in, in scientific literature, but I think there's some pretty good logic behind what they do, and I think this is one of those cases where it's it's. It's not a bad metric to use. The thing with these modeled FTPs is the same thing as what we can touch on on critical power later, but it's to do with the data inputs, right? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to model FTP off of data that doesn't contain maximal efforts over enough span of durations, you're going to get a garbage measure.
1: Yeah, and we've discussed it on the show prior about training peaks approach to things, and it's definitely utilitarian. It has its utility... It's nice that WKO5 syncs with training peaks pretty readily. So it, for a coach who has multiple athletes, it's really great. And I think for me, and maybe I'm just being an elitist to a sense, but I do not like black boxes very much mm. in mm. in sports science. And I have a term for that. Well, maybe it'll go viral someday, but uh, I call it dark sports science. The dark side. Yeah. So like, it's like the dark web, right? So for example, when you finish a, ro- a ride and your Garmin kind of spits out like, you need this many hours to recover or this is your VO2 max. You're like, wait, there was no tubes hooked up to me during this ride. How how do you know my VO2 max? You know an approximation. I don't even know how you calculated
2: it. I'm, I'm pretty happy with my, my Garmin at the moment thinks that I can run a three hour marathon. So I like Solid.
1: it. So you'll Solid. Take, it. <laughs> <laughs> take it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um... Like I said, we've done that episode. There was also on um, the thresholds, there was that meta analysis that came out by uh, Galen Rioja. I'm probably butchering that. That was in 2020 that looked at critical power across all the different thresholds. So um, we're going to try to hopefully have a number of the references for that we're discussing linked in the show notes if we can fit them all. And so people can reference that. But yeah, speaking, one thing I will add to that it, is that with FTP, I did look it up in Google scholars and I only saw one paper that's, that has MFTP in it and it wasn't a validation study. So again, it comes down to like, I understand like they're trying to make money and they're trying to have a product that works and it probably is functional enough, but at the same time, it would be nice if someone would, if they would have it validated, but you know, It it probably still people are going to win using it, I'm sure. So anyways, I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but there are multiple models that we can use to determine critical power that are out there. And I'm hoping Jason can kind of expand on these, but I'll just list them off real quick here. The ones that I was able to kind of tease out in the literature was there was the linear time work Model, there's the linear power model, the nonlinear two perimeter model, the nonlinear three perimeter model, and then not necessarily a model, but there's that three minute test, which I've actually talked about on the podcast. And then there is, I have a question mark around this, but I think you could potentially probably do something similar to a maximal lactate steady state multiple day protocol to get some kind of estimation of critical power, but I don't know how practical it is, but I'll have you, you can weigh on that as well, but like, yeah, go ahead and what are your thoughts on these models preferences? How do they work?
2: Yep. Yep. So like pretty much the main chunk is, is between these two parameter models and the, and the three parameter model in, in this case, the three parameter model that you're talking about, I believe is the the Morton, Morton model, which basically mm-hmm. involves adding an extra parameter. So we'll start with the two parameter models uh, the most basic and I think conceptually easy to understand for me first getting in was the linear model, the linear uh, work versus time model. So nice straight line, work capacity uh, against time. And basically your slope is your critical power and your mm-hmm. y-intercept ends up being your W prime. And vis- visually starting off in this space, I think it was just really, really easy to conceptualize um, uh, the, the other versions when, when we go to, there's one other linear model, which is using power versus the inverse of time. Mm-hmm. And that's basically just a way, again, to linearize data. So it's, it's uh, using, you know, a power versus time relationship and then trying to shift it to a linear formation. But for those who, who dare dabble into the world of, of uh, curved linear relationships, uh, you can go down, you know, power duration, which is, you know, what we probably see a lot of the time, a lot of practitioners using, uh, training Peaks or, or any other today's plan or Golden Cheetah or you guys you guys aren't sponsored are you? you need to make sure we mention a nice variety. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, we are
1: sponsored, but, sponsor, uh, but no, I don't think our sponsor has a power duration curve. <laughs> yeah, so. beautiful. Um, so a
2: lot of these models, all these different two parameter versions, where you plot different things against each other, they they're deemed as mathematically equivalent. Right, and so mm-hmm. you kind of get lost in like, oh, there's so many different varieties, and I think in um one of Jones's reviews, there's like eight or nine different varieties of this two-parameter model, mm-hmm. different <laughs> formations the way you can put it on. It, it's probably overkill, um, but what what uh, the general consensus is around, I guess, which one is your independent and dependent variables, and so the the main way to think about it is that your power time model, right, where mm-hmm. where to, uh yep. where wait. Now i got to get this the right way around. Um, hmm. Where where your, you know, uh, Y is time and X is your power.
1: I always remember the Y
2: versus X is hor- hor- horizontal. Hor- horizontal. <laughs> oh, dear. But, but yeah, so anyway, um, the, the weird thing about these models is although they say they're mathematically equivalent, if you put your values into them and you get your estimates of Cp and W prime out, you can actually get different estimates, so different numbers coming mm-hmm. out. And the, the main way that I understand that is that um, if you visually see your data points on each of these different versions of the model, what you'll see is that the, the dots, depending on what durations you've chosen to use, will like be clustered, I guess, down one end, or they'll be spread out evenly, or they'll be more up one end. And so that kind of spread in durations or the spread in the data points that you end up plotting brings error or bias to it, it weights certain tests more strongly over others you'll note that in my research mostly i use the linear model and it's pretty much because that's that's where i started mm-hmm. and i was getting uh you know good good data fits initially um if i was to go back and change now i'd probably i'd probably use a curvilinear linear model of power and time
1: yeah that's that's one of the things that I was reading when when I was looking at your research too, but that's always like hindsight. Yeah, absolutely. Right No, I had, I had a paper that we'll talk about in here from like 2021 that just came out. I was like, Oh, I bet Jason would be want to do this. I was going to ask you like, why wouldn't we want to do this? Uh, to a parameter, three-parameter model, mm. nonlinear model versus the linear. But like, obviously, you're you must have done your research in 2015, 2016, right? So uh, even
2: earlier, yeah. I think I started in um, 2014. Yep. I think I started my PhD. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you want to talk about three-parameter real quick?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear about what are your thoughts on those. Well, three-parameter is
2: really cool in in terms of I guess people saw the two-parameter model and and kind of the the physiologists kind of got a bit upset and said. Look, there's problems with that. There's assumptions in that model that that aren't true. A physiologist right? is upset. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> no. And so that version of the three-parameter model, I think that you're referencing the modern version, put uh, brought in um, a, a Pmax value, right? It, it kind of said, well, you can't mm-hmm. actually deplete your your W prime instantaneously. You know, you are mechanically limited, mm-hmm. and hence it allows, yeah, it it, it kind of describes that physiology over shorter durations a little bit better. Um, But for whatever reason, it just didn't take off, and it didn't actually, it didn't doesn't fit data great. I wouldn't say I never had great experience with it. Um, But but technically, you know, it 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 allows for a consideration that should be thought about. The other the other model that I that I really like, and I wish I'd kind of played with a bit more, was one by Wilkie, and Mm Wilkie tried to allow some flex around VO two kinetics. So the, one of the big issues with the critical power model being that it assumes instantaneous critical power aerobic provision of, of energy, uh, which we know is not true, right? There's a lag, yeah? Yep. It t- takes time for our, our oxygen uptake connects to, to catch up. And so Wilkie does this little um, correction, w- which basically accounts for that. So if, if I was able to go back and play a bit more, I think um, the Wilkie model would be another one that I'd explore. But again when we move forwards and once we start talking about intermittent models they go right back to the original right basic two parameter is what they extend Mm -hmm. on with
1: and i think we'll talk about best models but probably once we go through the w prime stuff because then you because there's some models that are better for w prime some models that might be better than for critical power so we'll hold off on that a little bit
0: Hey, Damien here. We want to help you make the most of your cycling performance in 2022. And to do this, I'm asking you to fill out our annual listener survey. You can find it in the show notes, and it will only take a couple of minutes to get through. But it will make it much easier to get right to the heart of your performance problems and make sure 2022 is a great cycling year for you. So please check it out. In fact, you could even pause the show right now and get it done. There's also a small gift waiting there for you. Thank you. And now, back to the show.
1: Let's talk about some practical considerations for measuring critical power. It's pretty common to do it in a lab. And you would set it up maybe, you know, the shortest durations I've seen between tests would be like a half an hour. A lot of times they'll do it day after day. In your experiences with the track, Right. So the track seems to be like this middle ground between proper outdoor field testing and the lab. And so what are some of your thoughts about taking it from the lab, which I know with your research, you know, you were, they did it on their own bikes with, with a wind trainer type setup, I think, Yeah, but it was still basically technically a very lab based type of test. And so what are some of the, just some of the practical things in just terms of having someone do this outside of a lab? Yeah, some some things that you think some caveats that you think they should be uh, or some always some suggestions.
2: Yeah, look, um, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we overcomplicate this stuff a little bit. Uh, Like a lot of the initial Mm -hmm. research was constant work rate tests. Uh, So, you know, you're thinking like a, a load bike of sorts, fixed power output and exercising at that power until task failure. All of a sudden, we go out into the road and it kind of simplifies a little bit. You know, it's like, oh, do as as much power as you can over this duration. But anyway, so at the end of the day, what's most important is that the the athlete is fresh at the start, they're highly motivated, and then they complete an exhaustive effort. They're, Mm -hmm. They're kind of the three things you want to tick. So there's some arguments around, I guess time trial position versus uh, road bike you mm-hmm. can even talk mm-hmm. on track bikes about fixed gearing versus a road bike and the ability to change gears but for me i tried to make sure i always thought about it as adopt a position which allows you to fully express your energetic capacity so that was mm-hmm. that was the kind of the way i, I would approach this testing so how, how do you let the athlete express as much of themselves as they possibly can
1: yeah, so maybe avoid downhills, right? Downhill slopes, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the the motivation
2: aspect is a huge one there. Like, yeah, there's a big difference between these athletes when they really want to go max and really want to deliver a, a, a you know, a, mm-hmm. a PB worthy performance, and when they give you most of what they got, but you know, always saving a little bit up the sleeve.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. One of the things I noted about I think some of your later papers were. How you got your critical power trials, mm. how you got that data was basically was the best minutes that came out of training. So how confident were you that those data points that you were getting out of the training were maximal efforts? Because I know you were, one of your studies had like a one minute, four minute, six minute, eight minute and 10 minute durations. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. The method
2: that I enjoyed the most was the method in the most recent paper. And that's actually a mixed approach. So Mm -hmm. we had a specific lab testing day. You know, they came in and they mounted their bikes up on the ergos. They were fresh, ready for it, proper full full spec warm up, and then they delivered the work pieces. You know, across pretty much half a day to a whole day. Like we, you know, we committed to it fully. But on top of that, I trawled their training data, training and racing data for any better results. Mm-hmm. So it was a mixed approach. It was whichever, wherever the biggest value was, whether it was from that distinct lab testing moment or whether it was performed in, in a local crit, I pulled out that data point.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So just kind of, it was a bit of a safe safety net approach.
1: Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That's actually similar to something I did in my, with calculating VO2 max numbers out of my study. Cause sometimes you can get VO2 max numbers out of interval sessions. So it was just like whatever interval session gave the highest VO2 max, even though we did a graded exercise test. So it was a true, true, true max across the study. So it sounds very similar. And just having a look at this. So there's different ways people model this. I've seen this in terms of how many trials that could be used to calculate critical power. I've seen from two, which seems to be the bare minimum, up to five and and then I think what's probably seems to be more common and more accurate somewhere around three. And looking at your research out of these one, four, six, eight, ten minute durations. And you kind of recom you took all of those durations, calculated the models differently to figure out what had the best critical power, best W or the most accurate critical power, and how they compared with each other, and what seemed from the figure that was in there what seemed to be the best was the one minute the four minute and the 10 minute mm-hmm. and i guess one thing to kind of discuss with that is the 10 minute seems a little bit short do you think it would be more accurate if you would have brought it out to a 12 or a 15 minute
2: yeah I, I it's not the 10 minute that that i think causes the controversy it's it's the one minute mm-hmm. it's down down the other end because mm-hmm. we start to delve into a world where VO2 kinetics and and max power play more of a part in terms of limiting performance. And you know we talked mm-hmm. before about uh, you need someone to be able to fully express themselves uh, for a solid data point. The one minute test, to be honest, is right on the borderline of that being a good data point. The reason we use one, there's there's a couple of reasons. The data point was useful beyond the critical power model. So beyond this modeling, we were interested in one in in an athlete's ability to express power over one minute. Yep. The athletes had familiarity. With one minute testing, and and that's the that's also the same for the. If we do talk about the ten minute test, is is the fact that this is a test duration that athletes were familiar with, we had been using previously. And when you're after an athlete giving a maximal effort, and you don't want to have to do repeat trials, introducing new tests or different duration tests uh, can sometimes be not very productive.
1: Yeah, yeah, and one thing about the one minute test that there's that one minute profile, uh, and Training Peaks does all their stuff through a one minute profile. And the thing that's good about it or interesting about it is there's the crossover point in the one minute at about 30 seconds is the point where the ATP is um, mostly aerobically produced. So there's prior to that is a large amount of anaerobic. So it's just kind of like this in the graphs, it's just kind of crosses over. But I think in terms of anaerobic, I like the 30 second effort because it doesn't necessarily get past that crossover point. But yeah. So I, when I saw the one minute power, I was like, well, oh, maybe that crossover, having that crossover in that is good enough. But um, based on, like I said, your data, that one minute, four minute and 10 minutes seemed to be the best way to go out of all the combinations. Well,
2: yeah, yeah. To clarify here, we never ran any validity testing in the, that study, right? So mm-hmm. but it was deemed the, the most in agreement with when we used all five tests. So
1: mm.
2: so it's when you you put in all five data points, we were able to get the same estimate by using just three. So it was kind of saying if the five test approach is gold standard in this case, we can get away with this cohort with just three tests, which had been shown yeah, yeah, previously. Yeah, yeah. And, and as mm-hmm. you mentioned, so Hoosh actually showed that two tests was fine as well, as long as they were spread out far enough. But the big risk with two tests is you need to be super confident that those are maximal efforts because so, any any little error in those measurements will cause a lot of a shift in the parameter estimates that you get out of. Yeah, them. yeah, definitely.
0: Is there, a, is there a specific way you need to do these tests? Is it just however they produce power, you're just doing a max effort? It doesn't matter whether they're going hard and fading or the other way around or whatever?
2: Depends how traditionalist you are, really. It, it all started off with these constant work rate bouts. So like most of the research you'll read is from constant work rate tests. But I think you know moving into a more practical landscape and, and some studies showing that variable power above, as long as it's above critical power, even if it's variable in nature, you end up with the same same net result. Mm. I mean, you can screw it up. You can definitely screw a test up by going out way too hard or, or way too easy.
1: Yeah, yeah. And just to contrast what you did with what uh, is kind of what I've seen is being recommended with WKO five. Mm. Uh, and Damien, you can chime in with this, you think this is true or not, but they split it into short, middle, and long efforts, and the short efforts, one to 10 seconds, which is very different from what you would be doing. And then there would be a middle, which would be like 11 seconds to three minutes, which seems like a very, very lar- weird area to me. Um, and then there's the long, which is 20 to five. And it's weird because... That 11 to 3 minute is kind of, it's a very interesting area because there's so much stuff that's going on, but it's about three minutes is when you hit aerobic steady state and they don't have anything that's like a three to eight minute effort, which seems very weird to me because if you read a lot of the kind of steady state literature that's used to kind of devise the lengths that we should be using for intervals, it's usually around like three to eight minutes, you know, for those times. Uh, at VO2 max power and stuff like that. So it's interesting. I'm not going to say whether it's good or bad either way. Um, Damien, so is this kind of jive with your use with the WK5 MFTP model? And
0: Yeah, I can give you like the practical sort of side of it as far as like technically what the recommendations from mm-hmm. those from those guys are. When you're first setting up the model, you're putting in the baseline testing across just whatever you want, the standard measures or whatever. Um, these ones here—they're variable in their time because the recommendation is when you're looking at the power duration curve, and then over the top of that, you're overlaying your mean maximal power. You're looking at the gaps. So any any mean maximal power that's not keeping up, and it's the difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so it's it can just it can vary depending on where the athletes are. So you're just trying to bump those powers up so the whole curve itself is accurate. That's from the practical side of things. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I and I i've noticed that most of my athletes they're pretty good around that three to 10 12 minute mark in terms of and i think it has to do with living in perth and just having hard climbs around that around that duration um but yeah once you get into that 20 minute plus efforts those become harder to come by uh because you have to like think about where you're going to do that effort and maybe it was in a race or something like that maybe you get lucky but um one of the nice things that I think about the model that you were using and the other models is everything, most of the stuff is 15 minutes and lower, which means that you get to avoid a 20 minute test. Mm -hmm.
0: But this is the thing here as well the the long one here could be up to, yeah, 60 minutes like you're asking someone to go out for 40 minute max effort, I hesitate on that
1: (laughs) Yeah, and the the other thing is, yeah, so I see sometimes that um, normalised uh what do, what do you call it the normalized uh residual normalized residuals mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so the normalized residual curve that helps you figure out what you're supposed to be doing yeah when you see one that's out at like 45 minutes you like it makes me think like okay they must be building their model differently or something like that but then it Although makes me kind of
0: you're the coach that sets one hour tests for riders so. You, should, you probably got no problem. Oof.
1: I did it once. I'm actually, I have a, pa- I have a paper right now that, uh, that is supposed to help me determine critical heart rate and <laughs> that's no more. So, hopefully, <laughs> yes. Give as long as you did here. it,
2: as long as you did the, uh, the field, the testing yourself to start with, Jace.
1: I've done it, yeah. Good. I've done a one hour <laughs> power test. Yep. So, yep, I didn't put anybody through it without doing it myself. But, so yeah, it kind of, makes me wonder like what they're doing with their curve versus what's going on with the literature, like how is, is what they're doing more accurate. One other thing that kind of makes me a little bit wary about that is that yeah, critical power has its limitations because at some point I don't know how much it really figures in for cardiovascular drift. And you know these cardio these critical power riding at critical power seems that with that time to exhaustion being approximately 23 minutes or so it seems like it doesn't figure in a lot of thermal stress and if they're doing the test this long i'm like i know there's thermal stress in that point for Mm. sure right like the longer you get out there and i mean fit people are going to have that's going to hurt them less but at some point you're like this is definitely there's thermal stress that's going to be factored in here and i think my opinion that the longer you get out there, then the longer the person is exposed to that thermal stress, the more variability that you're going to get yeah. in that tail, I think. So I actually kind of like that shorter one, not only because it would be easier to get the athletes to do a 15 over a 20 minute and find a 15 minute climb versus a 20 minute climb. But also just the fact that it just seems like once you get longer out there, there's going to be more of that, more of that variability. But of course that gets into like how, how much does the model r- represent reality yeah, and that we, kind of stuff. But yeah, that's a whole rabbit hole right there.
2: Well, we know the model breaks at the extremes of time, right? The basic two-parameter model doesn't work at short durations and doesn't work at long durations mm-hmm. for, for, for some of the uh, reasons you just mentioned. So I think I'll just touch on real quick, Jace, is just the the time to exhaustion research at, at critical yep. power. And this is a really interesting one. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah definitely. So, you know, reading through it, you're like, oh, you get this huge variability in like, Time to Exhaustion at CP, we thought it was this physiological value that's quite clear, uh, like as you decide, you, you uh, defined before. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that shifted in the literature is early on, one to ten minutes – was the range that was suggested for testing CP. And then it's at some stage, it shifted a little bit. People started realizing that the one minute test was was sh- quite short and right on the shorter end. And so then that's where Jones these days recommends two minutes to 15 minutes. And what happens is that when you include that one minute test, if you imagine the linear model and remembering, that, so this is work versus time. And if your shortest test is lower because you weren't able to fully like expend your W prime, what you do is you get this kick to your a slope, mm-hmm. and so all of a sudden you have an overestimated critical power, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you look through all this research, and you got to be really critical of the methods used to to uh, get the parameters because mm-hmm. some of these yep. CPs that people are working at are most likely overestimated, and so I, I think that that's what's caused the biggest variation in kind of time to exhaustion uh, data at at CP.
1: Yep, yep. And speaking of overestimations, let's just jump into your research around the three minute test. I'll start that off for you because I've actually talked about this in the podcast and this is a great opportunity to address something that I was blatantly wrong on. Okay. And so, and I apologize to you for missing your paper because it came out in 2017, but I was going through all of the thresholds at the time. And one of the things I thought about was, well, three minute tests, critical power. You can get critical power, a three minute test. This would be awesome. And you know, this would be great income for cycling gyms. I even brought that up. And that's where I was at at the moment, you know, because I had gone and I had learned about the three minute test at ACSM from these talks that they were giving uh, at the conferences from Jones's lab. And I was like, this is cool. This would be awesome. And then uh, I talked with Skiba a little bit after you you need a special bike and all this kind of stuff and whatever. I don't know what exactly what that meant, but to me, I was like, oh, this would be great. Three minute power. How many of my athletes would be signed up for that instead of over a 20 minute power? And then you came along. <laughs> so tell us about the three minute test and what you found and tell us about your population that you did it on yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, look, I, I guess I've, I've probably got a caveat too that I'm, I'm willing to give this test another go, but, mm-hmm. but in the experience that, that, that we had, it d- didn't go too well. The three minute test. So, so your listeners understand the concept, or do you want me to talk through it? Yeah,
1: go through it. Uh, what is it?
2: Right, yeah. right, right. So, uh, we talked before around you know this inability to get aerobic and anaerobic contributions out of like one single effort. You know, that's what the critical power model gives of you is a relationship between different efforts and allows you to draw out those two variables. This concept is. Uh, yeah, it basically is, is a solution to try and pull out both aerobic and anaerobic parameters from one single test. And straight away, I was like, nah, this can't, this can't be right. This can't work. But it starts off with the maths. So if you actually, if you write down some of those two parameter models, mm-hmm. what it suggests is that when you run out of W prime, I like to just call it volitional exhaustion or task failure. But what the model suggests is that you can actually hold critical power still. It's not that you're exhausted. It's that the highest power output you would be able to continue with is critical power. That's the way the three-minute test works is that you go all out. You, would, you basically attempt to exhaust your W-prime at some stage during the middle of the test and then hold on for dear life. And they then take that end test power uh, and, and presume that it is not different to, to critical power. The one that I really struggled with when I,
1: when I, when this.
2: And this test has been validated out. though. To, it has, to credit.
1: absolutely. And, and that's, it's been, it's been very, but the population was, what, healthy individuals, yeah, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you, you can't argue and they, they did a lot of robust study into, into the parameters coming out of this three minute test. It's not like it's one paper. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it, it's mm, no, no, there's a lot. It's yeah. predominantly
2: one research group. Um, but
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it's, but they are, they are, they are up there in terms of like their research oh, abilities. These are, these are superstars in, the, in this field. So you came along and then, yeah, we were just like, well, this is, well, I hate to, I'm excited about your findings. <laughs> right, right, right. Right.
2: Probably just want to start off by saying what's different between my research and their research. So yes, the, the subject, yeah, group, yeah. subject group is one and that's one that we, we can delve into. The other yeah, one was the, er, the ergo used. So you, you said, Skiba said, you need a special bike. Um, Mm -hmm. so he's pretty much just talking about a, like a load bike, uh, on, I believe it's like isokinetic mode where it's basically like a fixed gear. So it's this, this one single gear. You go out as h- fast as you can, you'll get really high cadences at the start, and then you'll fade away, and your cadence will drop and drop and drop and drop and drop through the test. So that's how they did it. We, we did it on the athlete's own bicycles on ergos again. So you got a straight up say there's a little bit of a caveat there.
1: But at the, at the end of the day, you want this to be ecologically valid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I w- I'm fine. I am i wouldn't have a problem with how you, how you approach it, because at the end of the day, I mean unless you're going to have a cycling gym set up like even with the world tour guys you're still going to want to be doing it on their bike yeah. in a hotel or whatever or their house or whatever well if you're going to have to do quick testing with them right yeah. So yeah. Continue. Sorry.
2: So so you go out and we do these efforts, right? These three minute all out non-paced. You got to go out as hard as you can and hold nothing back and keep going all the way till the end. And so the power trace you would expect to see, right? High power at the start, kind of drops off and then it kind of plateaus towards the end. And we got those kind of traces, right? We got these shapes that, that I kind of saw them and I was like, yeah, right. This is this has worked, right? They've they've done it exactly how they should have. But then once we pulled our estimates out. They were about 50 watts over what we would consider, you know, a, a, a likely critical power, and it was, I, I believe, it was uh, was higher than some of their 10 minute powers from testing as well. So it was like just not even, not even considerable at all. So what you've got to assume there is that the athletes didn't exhaust themselves mid test and settle onto critical power; that they they must have held back somewhat. They must have paced the effort in some way. Yep. So it's not so much that the test doesn't work, but it's like. I had no way of knowing from the data set that we had, whether the test was successful or not, whether we had successfully completed the test. And I could have like, you know, if I didn't know better, I could have run off with those numbers and they would have been very, very wrong.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. One of the uh, words or terms that came out of the discussion of your paper that kind of stood out and was the teleo anticipation. Yeah, yeah. And so that was one of your hypotheses for why this effect had happened in these elite athletes. And I wanted to touch on that because I think it's really interesting in a lab setting and what like what you had. But I also kind of wonder about it in terms of anecdotally with uh, racing for me. Like I know I always feel like shit until it's time to go in a race. And it's like, is that this telio anticipation thing where like you have enough experience? that you're just kind of reading the race and you're, you're not feeling it until you have to go, or mm. that some could be something else. But in a lab uh, environment, I actually saw something similar with some research that I did during my master's. Um, I compared uh, consecutive wing gates, so three wing gates, together with four minutes of rest in between, and we looked at that in a trained population and a – you know, just uh, not sedentary, but you know, healthy population. And you could see in that, that the the power for the healthy population, the untrained population was off the bat was higher on average than our trained cyclists, but that the significantly decreased over time. Right. But what we were seeing with the 32nd, even though they were told, do not pace this, put in these efforts as hard as possible every single time, I don't think there was a significant decrease over the power across the trained athletes. Maybe there was one between the first and third. I can't remember. But like, it was not nearly as much of a decrease. And they did not have as high of a power in the first one. Yeah. So it kind, of, you're kind of like, hmm, what's going on here? Is this a physiological thing or is this a telio and anticipation? But um, so that was my one kind of anecdote with that around that. But another thing that kind of funny kind of thought about the three minute test was, um little story about that was cycling related was i was out riding in the hills one day and i came across michael freeberg and he was out sniping um segments king of the mountains <laughs> segments on strava him and this other guy and i remember i was like Ah, oh, cool i'll ride with you guys for a bit and i was just coming off a of world so i had some fitness and we came down to this descent i actually have a video of this right and i have the watts with the video so he comes down and we're climbing out of a weir. So it's like a five minute climb or whatever. So I'm sitting on his wheel and I'm sitting like at 400 watts or something like that for three minutes, just holding it, holding it, holding it. And then he just like stood up on this hill and rode away. Right. Like, and there's, he's got kilos on me. Right. And he just, well, this obviously he's a world champion right? and, and a former, uh, national road champion in australia so he's obviously super strong and so i'm doing whatever i can to hold on his wheel finally i just blew up and then i looked down at my watts and i was just like spent and i was like 320 that's all i can hold that must be my critical power. Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> get because like because the, the three because the three minute test like came in my head. Yeah, I was like, yeah, th- thanks, thanks, Reeb. You totally blew me up. So I, like, and it's funny. Like if I look back at my power data from that time, three twenty was about where my FTP was. I think so. That's. That's kind of yeah, they, my little anecdote there. I don't know if it.
2: I'm willing to give it another shot. I'm definitely willing to give the test another shot. But when when you're working with high performance athletes and you know you're suggesting this kind of new test protocol and it doesn't go well the first time, good luck bringing it up again. Yeah.
1: Good luck. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Uh, it's totally understandable. And that's what we've had that discussion on the show as well about the sports scientists working with the athletes for data versus like the sports scientists working with the athletes to help the athletes get better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like if you're taking data from athletes and adding that cost to their training and their life, then you better have some kind of benefit for them and the uh, in the near future, hopefully.
0: But can, can we just talk about then critical power and how you do test it or how you keep the model relevant over time? Do you have to do the same tests?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so the biggest, so as we said before, we, we kind of talked about the fact that the durations that you choose impact the variable that you get on the other side. So what's really important for um, reliability, there's concepts of validity. But then if you just want it as a reliable measure, then you need to keep the durations that you're testing over consistent. And most importantly, the the out-of-bounds, so your shortest test and your longest test. If you can keep those as similar as possible, you should be pretty reliable in in your your outputs. If you want it to be valid, you should probably play in that two minutes to 15-minute range. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. But we don't know what's going on with WKO5, so...
2: That's 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 the hardest part about yeah. WK five. So so yeah. one approach I used to the use, black box yep. approach I used to use was I guess similar to what what um, you mentioned with WK five having a short, medium, and long recommendations. My times were a bit different to that, but what I used to do was you know you, you just use the charts to pull out mmps, but you have a, a short range and you're looking for their best mmp in that short range A medium range. You're looking for the best you can get there, and then your long range. And if you ever look at in a in a time span or a window so say over the last month Mm -hmm. they say you were using uh 10 minutes right let's just stick with 10 and you look at that 10 minute mmp that that's in the training data and it's quite low and you're like oh like some coaches look at it and go oh oh yeah they're not very fit at the moment but then i go oh hold on a sec have have you actually exposed this athlete to it to a situation where they were exhausting themselves over 10 minutes right and so what i used to do is this this little approach where if there was um one of those areas either short, medium, or long that was well off of where it should be, then you would set up a specific testing moment to get them to produce a power over that duration. And so when I was using this, I used to use Strava, I guess just as you suggested before, you know, get them to find a segment that's of roughly the duration that you're after and get them to go out and hunt it um, and to to lay Mm -hmm. down a good power over that duration.
0: Yeah, and this is what I find as well when I'm using the model in WKO 5 if it's giving me something that's just totally out of whack, I have to look at the performances that it's feeding off because if you lean one way in training and you just haven't touched an area for a little while, you have to make sure that they can max out in that other area so that it all balances out. Otherwise, the whole thing can yeah, be
1: yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, well, before we move on to the power duration curve stuff, I just want to kind of uh, list off some of the other caveats that I have listed down here and feel free to jump in if you have any thoughts on them. Um, But one of them, we talked about terrain considerations uh, briefly. So that's actually, there's a paper on that in the literature or that's discussed in the literature talk about nutritional considerations. So not even like carb loading, you could, but beetroot supplements, because critical power is based a lot on oxygen delivery. So we show there's a lot of research to show that beetroot supplements increases critical power and oxygen delivery. Um, from my understanding and there, we also have to look at environmental factors. So doing it at at hypoxia, which there's a few studies out now that help model critical power considering hypoxia, which seems really complicated to me. (laughs) You'd also have to figure that heat's going to have, uh, an effect on it. And then one thing that I think about too, but probably wouldn't be as affected by with the short duration stuff, but like, you know, you're going to get quite a bit of convection outside Versus the convection that would be inside. But if it's only like five minutes, you know, the thermal stress isn't going to be as much as if it's 15 minutes or, or over or something like that. So something to be thinking about there. Uh, there's paper out about mental fatigue now and critical power. And self-pacing seems to be a pretty effective way to to get the, the numbers higher for your trials. So those are just some of the things. I don't know if you have any thoughts on any of those or... But um,
2: no, yeah, I think the main thing as I tried to kind of stay early is you need the athlete to be fresh and you need the athlete to be then be motivated and then you need them to be able to expend themselves completely. And, and I guess everything you discussed there are kind of barriers to expressing yourself completely, right? They're, they're some form of constraint.
1: Yeah, definitely. So we've been talking about critical power quite a bit here. And then there's the power duration curve and how that relates, obviously, the Higher the power, the shorter the duration that you can exercise for, especially once it's over your critical power. Or do you think there's any practical uses for the power duration curve? I mean, other than coming up with your double prime or anything like that. Like, How accurate do you think it would be for describing maybe if going out and time trialing or something like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, personally, I think the power duration curve, you, you can use it in, a, in, you know, it's based on the same constructs of the critical power model. But Mm -hmm. the the critical power model kind of forces you to pull out these two parameters and define CP and W prime, whereas in the power duration curve, although it's a product of CP and W prime, you're not forced to pull them out individually. So you can just kind of simplify things a little bit and treat one minute power as, you know, uh, a little bit more anaerobic in nature, or or as you said, your 30 second power, you know, you can really simplify it and say, oh, that's, that's an anaerobic test. And vice versa, you know, and you go FTP world, you go out into your twenty minute powers and you go, well, that's an aerobic test, even though we know there is interrelations between them yep. um, so I de- definitely think there's scope, especially if you know your the event that you're training for um, and you know the energetics that's involved and if it's skewed to one side more than the other, then sometimes you don't care about both, sometimes you only really care about about one of those parameters or one of those inputs. Um, and you can just use an MMP to do it. So you, th- you think track cycling for us, uh, four-minute testing is, is our most common form of testing. Uh, and we can use that as a power, standalone power. You need to improve your four-minute tests. Do we really care where it comes from, whether it was an aerobic or anaerobic contribution that gave us more power over our four minutes? No, we just care that you did more more power.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can think of an argument for that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based off of Haimesh Ferguson's research from his PhD, um, and he's working looking at sprinter stuff, and he's actually making an argument around needing an aerobic ability as a track sprinter because of the constraints of the, of the actual competition because you have to do more than one mm. event. Mm. So I would potentially argue, yes, in a vacuum, if you're using uh, doing a pursuit, uh, then I wouldn't care how you would get the energy either. However, if you're doing multiple over the course of a day, then it might matter because how long does it take to replenish whatever? You know, how much glycogen are you burning through and these other things, you know? So, and that gets into this conversation of like, how long does it really take to recharge uh, W prime, which, which your research is about, obviously, but... Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the power duration curve by itself for, for a second there and just kind of get your thoughts. And then for me, this being the novice that's just kind of looking at this research too, is the, the squaring that circle around one side, it says critical power isn't really good at predicting time to exhaustion. And then on the other side is if you write at this power, it will be at this duration. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Am I looking at it the wrong way?
2: Yeah. It's all about where the model is good and where it's not good. And mm-hmm. I'd say if you get your parameters well and you play in the bounds of that kind of two minutes to 15 minute range, it's going to be pretty good at, at predicting your your MMP. Personally, that's that's my belief.
1: Mm. And that could explain why WKL5 has those longer duration efforts to kind of make sure that their model is accurate for people who are doing longer duration stuff. Because well, I, mean- I think I think yeah. they've
2: got to they've got to suit the, the mass population, right? Who aren't going to mm-hmm. have the nuances to think about. Oh, what are my model inputs? They need a model that's super robust that can handle just splatterings of data of various training, depending on what what their thousand uh, dollar a month coaches have prescribed them.
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, anyone here making a thousand dollars a month? <laughs> How many athletes do I get to put into that calculation? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you to JB for coming on. You will find part two of Critical Power, where we cover W Prime, W Balance, practical considerations, and technology, plus JB's final thoughts. And after sitting with Critical Power for so many years, his answer might actually surprise you. And to wrap up here, please help us out by filling out the survey mentioned earlier on in the show. It will really help us make episodes that will help your performance or at a bare minimum, make those endurance rides a little more bearable. You can find the link to the survey in the show notes of this episode. Thanks.